everyone, welcome to the Raising Dakota podcast with me, your host, Courtney. And if you're a special needs parent, you're in the right place. So I hope you can sit back, relax, feel inspired, and always, always remember you're so much stronger than you could ever imagine. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and I truly appreciate all the love and support that I have received since announcing that I was going to be releasing a podcast. So I figured since I'm choosing February 1st as the date to release, I thought I would make it a two for one. So in this episode, I'm going to dive deep into Dakota's journey, his story, kind of bring you up to speed over the last six years of our family's life. So to start, I want to share Dakota's primary diagnosis and some of his underlying conditions. Then I'll jump into his story and some of the big events that have happened over the last six years. Dakota's primary diagnosis is Barretts-Winter Syndrome and Dandy Walker malformation. Both are rare diseases, but Dandy Walker is actually more common than Barretts-Winter Syndrome. And they kind of gave us a heads up when I was pregnant with him that it might be Dandy Walker, but they didn't confirm it until after Dakota was born and they were able to do imaging on him and his brain to fully diagnose Dandy Walker. It pretty much just tells us that Dakota's brain is pretty severely underdeveloped. It also can explain a lot of Dakota's underlying conditions. So with the Dandy Walker diagnosis, he also has a genesis of the corpus callosum, which means that the connections between the two hemispheres are either absent, completely missing, or smaller than what they should be, or that there's less connections than what there should be. He also has a smaller cerebellum. He did have enlarged ventricles, and then he did have the cyst that they think was just a pocket full of fluid that thankfully resolved itself. We do see a neurosurgeon, and thankfully Dakota's brain development has been stable since birth, so we only see him on a two-year basis now. Kids with um, Dandy Walker sometimes have a major risk of having seizures or because of the enlarged ventricles, they also could require a shunt for fluid buildup. Thankfully, Dakota did not need any of that, and it is really awesome that his brain development has been stable since birth. Now, with Barrett's or Winter Syndrome, it is extremely rare and can only be diagnosed through gene testing. When Dakota was five, we did a whole genome sequence to find his diagnosis. One of two genes have to mutate, either the ACTB or the ACTG1 gene. The ACTG1 gene is actually the more rare form of the mutation, and that is actually the one that mutated for Dakota. It is not something that his dad or myself carry. We found out that it is something specific with Dakota. It's the first time it's happened, and Dakota is actually the first case of it that our genetic counselor has actually seen, and based on all of the research and information that we have found, there's only 100 confirmed cases in medical documentation, so there's not a lot of information to really help us understand more about Dakota, but it does explain a couple things more so features uh, like Dakota being small in stature. It's very common with this diagnosis as well as his eyes being spaced farther apart. Dakota does have a couple underlying conditions which include bilateral sensory neural hearing loss, lack of coordination, low muscle tone, and feeding issues. All of those are also pretty common with both the Barretts Winter Syndrome and Dandy Walker. Together both of these diagnoses actually tell us a decent amount about Dakota. So now that I've overloaded you on diagnosis information, I figure I will jump straight into Dakota's story. My husband and I found out in 2013 that I was pregnant and we were so excited. We decided early on that we wanted to pick a name and stick with it. After tossing around a couple names, we both loved the name Dakota and it just kind of stuck and we decided whether Dakota was a boy or a girl, that was going to be his name. Um, We both really liked it. We picked a couple middle names that we really liked. 
we did the becoming mom at 16 weeks to find the gender. Unfortunately, Dakota sat crisscross applesauce the whole entire hour appointment, so we had to come back the following week. But at 17 weeks, we found out that Dakota was a boy. When our 20-week anatomy scan came up, kind of in the back of my head, I knew what the anatomy scan was, but I had had several friends who had had babies. My sister had had a baby, so I kind of just expected it to be pretty easy. They go in, they tell you about the baby, and they tell you the gender, but we already knew. So we told them, like, we already know it's a boy, and they're like, okay, that's fine. We'll confirm. So we get into the ultrasound, and everything's going good, and we're kind of talking and we get to see pictures and then all of a sudden probably 15 to 20 minutes into our ultrasound the tech pretty much stopped talking um, and wasn't really telling us anything and so we kind of became a little concerned the other biggest struggle was that there was no doctor on site that day they had some scheduling issues and so um, they had nobody at that location they were at the other location finally after asking like what's wrong is everything okay the only thing she told us which I wish she wouldn't have was well, I'm not liking your baby's measurements. I don't like the way that he's measuring. His head is measuring small. Um, It might just be me, but we need to have a doctor look at these and then they'll probably call you because something's not adding up and that's all. And so based on that information, we were very startled and very concerned, which it was one of those things that I don't know how better to have handled that situation, but I would have preferred her just to been like, okay, yeah, no, I'm just getting some measurements and just kind of played it off like nothing was happening because there was nobody there that day to talk to us. Um, And so, I mean, we were there for an hour. Obviously, we're concerned and our emotions are extremely high because we do understand from a legal aspect they can't tell us anything, but the information they did tell us told us something was wrong. And so they told us, oh, a doctor will call you. And so... This whole hour ride home, we're pretty much a mess, like concerned that something massively is wrong with our child. Finally, we're about two miles away from our house. The doctor finally called us and he informed us that Dakota's measurements are not adding up. His brain looks very severely underdeveloped as well as his skull shape is very small um, and his body is very small and I have extra amniotic fluid. So... They're very concerned. It also looks like he had a cyst on his brain. So all of these things that they're telling me over the phone were very scary. Immediately, uh, my pregnancy went to high risk. So starting from that appointment, we were seeing doctors every other week. And then starting at 30 weeks, we saw doctors every week. Um, The team of doctors we saw did second-level ultrasounds, and they confirmed that Dakota was severely underdeveloped. His brain was underdeveloped. Um, The one benefit of having second-level ultrasounds is that we got – 3D pictures of Dakota every single time we went to the doctor. So that is something we did have to kind of hold on to and seeing his little face. And he remained decently stable Um, while I was pregnant. We did go to our local children's and met with the fetal care team where we did imaging um, and a two-hour MRI to specifically look at Dakota. From there, we had a very large team meeting with the neonatal team at the children's that Dakota would eventually go to once he was born because they knew that based on all the information they were receiving that just something wasn't adding up and he was going to need a lot of extra attention. Uh, We were prepared to do whatever we needed to do for Dakota at that moment. Along the way, uh, we had also found an issue with Dakota's intestines. We didn't know exactly what it was. But that meeting with them at 30 weeks was pretty scary. Um, We sat down and they gave us all the possible scenarios. They told us that Dakota 
if he lived would have severe developmental delays and there's no pretty much no changing that just because of how severely underdeveloped his brain was the other big thing is that they didn't even know if he would make it past birth the MRI showed that he possibly had some issues with his esophagus as well as his intestines but they couldn't obviously tell from the imaging how bad it was Uh, but they knew that he would immediately after birth be transferred to um, our local children's they just didn't know if it would if it would need to be a rushed emergency, if we needed to plan a C-section. And those were kind of things we all kind of discussed. And at the time, they're like, if he doesn't come by 37 weeks, at 37 weeks, you will be induced and have a C-section and we will um, deliver Dakota and he will come to Children's. They were hoping that some of the imaging could be done at the hospital I delivered at and make sure he was stable, which... Dakota made his grand appearance at 34 weeks and six days, which was really scary because there was also another high-risk pregnancy um, happening at the same time. So there were teams of doctors just doing rounds, and they would, like a team of 10 doctors would just poke their head in. Finally, once I did deliver, there was roughly 20 to 30 people in the delivery room when I delivered. We had a whole kind of kind of birthing plan not really it was we sat down and they said hey as soon as Dakota's born you're only going to get to see him for a couple minutes and I'm thankful that they told us all of this because it really helped mentally prepare us for what to expect and what was to come once Dakota was born he was not crying he didn't make a noise at all I remember um, just looking kind of around all the staff to seeing this nurse doing chest compressions and just looking at him and being like, come on, Dakota, you can do it. Come on, bud. You got this baby. Come on, baby. You can do it. And then finally, after what seemed like forever, I'm assuming probably three to five minutes, um, he finally started breathing. They kind of got him cleaned and assessed as quickly as they could and brought him over, sat him on my chest long enough for me and his dad to kiss him. Um, We got one picture of him and then they took him off to the NICU. From there, they assessed him. They did so many tests and imaging to see how he was doing and determined that because of his reaction to being delivered and needing so much oxygen and just extra support that they needed to immediately transfer him to Children's. They actually thankfully brought Dakota in to me in my room um, three hours after he was born and I was able to kiss him, tell him I love him and my husband went with him and thankfully, I'm really thankful for this, his mom and sister also went to Children's to be with my husband and then my family stayed with me um, and then finally, once we had some assessments and imaging, it was determined that Dakota's intestines completely dead-ended so he would need immediate surgery. So at 12 hours old, Dakota went in for a four-hour procedure to repair his intestines, which then also showed us that his stomach wasn't filtering properly, so he wasn't taking in the amniotic fluid. There was a chance Dakota would need a feeding tube, but we didn't know how soon. We didn't get to hold Dakota for the first time until he was two days old um, because they needed to make sure the incision was healed and as well as he was intubated. Um, So it was a pretty scary two days, but I was really thankful um, that my OB came in 24 hours after I had delivered and released me. So that way I could go to the other hospital and be with Dakota. He said, you're going to be with an extreme awesome amount of doctors, doctors who helped deliver Dakota. So they're like, we're not concerned with your well-being um, because you're going to be in another hospital. And I look back now and I, I see that my body was on autopilot. I was not in any pain. I did not feel anything. I was just going. And the way my mind was operating was, it's not about me right now, it's about Dakota. So I 
I know that after I had Dakota, I felt absolutely no pain because my center of focus was solely on Dakota. But thankfully, the surgery went really well, and Dakota did really well after that. Once I did more imaging, it looked like he had scar tissue over his esophagus, but has never needed any surgery related to his esophagus. Um, But we did have a two-month NICU stay where Dakota struggled with gaining weight. Um, One of the other things that they kind of told us in advance is that because of the dead end of his intestines, his colon might not be fully formed. And um, it also, they also diagnosed him with an imperforated anus. So thankfully it was there. It just was too small. So we did unfortunately have to do rectal dilations with him, which I dreaded and I hated doing those, but it was what needed to be done because it never fully developed because of his intestinal issues. So we spent two months in the NICU and Dakota did really well. And I have to say he has always been the happiest, most content child. We did have some issues um, with weight gain, so he couldn't gain off of just breast milk. So we had to fortify it. Um, And that was a struggle trying to get something because he ate breast milk really well, ate all of his bottles, but he just couldn't gain weight. And so we had to figure out a way that he would eat his bottles and gain weight. We went through a couple different formulas, which was kind of stressful, but In the end, we figured out how to do it, but unfortunately, due to all of the stress of everything, I was only able to supply breast milk for two months. It was just too much on my body. I wasn't able to actually breastfeed. I had to pump, um, and I never brought Dakota to breast because our breast milk always had to be fortified. He also had latching issues with being a preemie. It was very hard on my body, but I'm thankful for the two months that I was able to provide him with milk and Um, I provided him with the colostrum, which is what he really needed to recover from his surgery. So we were in the hospital for two months and then went home. And in August, when I finally stopped producing, we switched him to Similac sensitive and then ended up in the hospital for three days because we discovered that Dakota had a milk protein allergy. So we spent several days trying to figure out and find a formula that he would drink and um, that he could gain weight off of. Um, thankfully, we used Nutramagen and he liked it and it worked. So we were able to go home. Um, so I was thankful that the whole month of August I was able to be off. But unfortunately, I had to go back to work in September. In September, Dakota started daycare. And at the same time, he also started uh, therapy. They Thankfully, his therapist would go to the daycare and see him. And I would meet them there most days to help with his therapy or... Um, I had a reduced schedule, so if I was off or we could work it out so that they could come to the house, we did that. But he saw OT, PT, and then a developmental interventionist starting out. The daycare he went to was a prescribed pediatric extended care, so it was all registered nurses who took care of him, and they were sweet. They are pretty much like family to us. Dakota um, is no longer in daycare now that he's in school, and my schedule has changed, but They were a huge part in helping us raise Dakota, and I'm forever thankful for them. So in that first year, Dakota had a lot of hospital stays just in regards to illness. He was vomiting a lot. He, The first year of life, Dakota vomited four to five times a day, and they discovered that was because of his stomach not filtering properly because when I was pregnant with him, he didn't take in the amniotic fluid, so his stomach never stretched But with that, we did do several studies as well as just several hospital stays from RSV, pneumonia, uh, bronchitis. He was just, from being a preemie and being in daycare, he was sick a lot. And we spent a lot of time in the hospital. Since Dakota's been born, we've actually had over 20 hospital stays. Most of them were within the first four years of his life. 
with the projectile vomiting, we saw his GI team a lot, his surgeon who did his surgery, and it was later discovered that Dakota would need two separate feeding tubes because of the fact that we needed to retrain his stomach. So at about a year and a half, a little under that, um, Dakota had feeding tubes placed. The most common feeding tube people hear of is a G-tube or a GJ tube, which is a G-tube feeds directly to your stomach. A GJ tube is two tubes and one button. So it feeds to your stomach and then it has a separate kind of tube, but they're put together that has an internal tube that feeds to your intestines. Unfortunately, because of the way that Dakota's stomach did not filter properly, he actually needed two separate feeding tubes. So we placed a G-tube and a separate J-tube. So for about um, a little over two years, Dakota was primarily J-tube fed because we realized that his intestines actually worked better than his stomach. But the nice thing about that was that we did J-tube feeds overnight where he got roughly 80% of his nutrition. During the day, we were able to let him eat by mouth and he was at one point eating five ounces from a cup or a bottle um, three times a day by mouth. And what's nice about that is it let us slowly stretch his stomach as well as teach his stomach how to filter. So we could bolus um, and pretty much that it would fill his stomach, his stomach would need to filter. So once we finally got his stomach trained the way we needed it to, um, we were thankfully able to switch him over to a puree by G-tube diet um, in 2018 and then get rid of his J-tube completely. And so now he's primarily G-tube fed. We are working on feeding, but because of his aversions and vomiting, um, he's always struggled with eating by mouth. Okay, so let me back up just a little um, because during that time when he did have feeding tubes, we also, while he was in daycare, uh, because he was with registered nurses, they did assessments, we also discovered that he had obstructed sleep apnea. One day during daycare, they were doing one of the assessments. Dakota was asleep, just doing his normal oxygen, heart rate, that kind of stuff. And they realized that his oxygen levels were extremely low, but he looked like he was passing air. So we discovered there was probably some sleep apnea. I didn't know what to do. So I called his GI doctor because we didn't have a pulmonary doctor watching him at the time. So we didn't, I didn't know who to call. And they said, just take him to the ER, tell him what's going on. Thankfully, because he was still so little, he was almost two. He still took a lot of naps and Dakota has always taken a lot of naps anyways, but he thankfully fell asleep in the emergency room. So I was able to record him, hit the call button. And as soon as I hit the call button, his oxygen dropped down to 50%. So they were able to see it happen. And we ended up eventually doing three procedures to finally clear that up. We first started with a supraglottoplasty, which is the, um, part covering the voice box, the skin kind of that closes and opens. It was they thought maybe a little too floppy so he wasn't getting good air in and out when he was sleeping so they trimmed that back um, that didn't do it we also had tonsil and adenoids removed and that helped a good amount um, after and after every procedure um, we would do a sleep study so he's had a total of four sleep studies um, and so we realized the tonsils and adenoids helped but it didn't solve the issue um, during that procedure, Dakota actually ended up getting sick and being sedated for a week just because he was constantly in and out of the hospital because we realized how enlarged his tonsils and adenoids were, were blocking drainage, giving him more infections. So finally, the procedure that resolved his obstructed sleep apnea was 
um, he needed to have his lingual tonsils removed, which, so you have tonsils that are kind of higher up, then you have tonsils that are a little bit lower. So they did several procedures, several studies. So finally, we were able to see that his lingual tonsils were completely closing while he was sleeping. So he was on oxygen for roughly two years. And so we are really thankful that we are no longer on oxygen or don't have those issues. During that time also, we're also doing some hearing stuff with Dakota because we realized that he was not responding. So we started down the path of hearing aids and come to find out that Dakota has bilateral sensory neural hearing loss and he pretty much cannot hear anything is what we suspect without um, assistance. So we decided to go the route of cochlear implants um, and that was in 2016. We ultimately made the decision to go forward with cochlear implants because it's already a known factor that children with special needs struggle with not being able to express their wants and needs or being able to communicate. It's already a struggle and so we knew with Dakota's brain development issues and it being so underdeveloped that coordination was going to be a struggle. So we didn't know if he would be able to learn signs, if he would be able to understand pet cards. You know, you have all these wants and hopes for your child, but we just didn't know if that was a possibility. So our mindset was we want to give him all forms of communication and let him choose because that is up to him. And if ultimately he decides to not use his cochlear implants, then at least we gave him the option. And I would prefer to do the surgery now where development is very appropriate and very important for him to get that language development versus later when we didn't even go forward with it. We also don't know that Dakota will ever be able to make medical decisions for himself. So since we know that children with special needs already struggle with being able to express themselves, we didn't want to hinder anything for Dakota when it comes to learning and we also wanted to give him every opportunity to do the best he possibly can with the situation that we've been given Um, but Dakota is actually doing really good he does understand a few simple signs but he does need help communicating those signs with some hand over hand but the one thing that he's learned this year that he does really well with is his pet cards Um, we just we've been using them for several years and he has a good understanding 2020 he really took off with learning his pet cards and making choices and being able to answer simple questions when there's one or two cards available we also discovered back in 2016 17-ish that Dakota was having some issues with his hips because of the fact that Dakota does not bear weight through his legs by standing or he wasn't crawling at the time. Now he is actually learning to crawl. He can hold quadruped for almost two minutes and he can stand with the support of a wall for up to five minutes. Since he didn't start walking or crawling until now, which he's six, Dakota has had some hip issues because all of your hip bones and everything forms the way it needs to when you're learning those functions when you're younger, when most kids are learning to walk and crawl around the age of one. So because Dakota wasn't doing those things, his hips didn't form appropriately. So we do see an orthopedic surgeon for that. And he did have a procedure in um, 2017, I think it was. It was a hip abductor release procedure. And it pretty much just helped open his legs and gives him a little bit more range of motion in his hips, which we do think has definitely helped um, his hips. But his left hip is still a lot worse than his right hip. We're hoping that since he uses a gait trainer and is starting to really take off with crawling since last February, that 
he's made so much progress that hopefully in the future we won't have to have a major hip surgery. But if his hips don't form or don't do what they technically are supposed to do, we might be looking at doing a hip surgery in the future to help with that because it can cause a lot of issues down the road for Dakota. Dakota has been through so much in his life in the last six years, and most of the stuff he went through happened in the first four years. Thankfully, 2019 and 2020 were actually great years for Dakota. Um, He made so much great progress, and we've spent so much less time in the hospital, which is really, really exciting. Um, 2019, we actually had no hospital stays. 2020, we did because Dakota ended up damaging the internal equipment for his right cochlear implant and had to end up having that replaced. But overall, Dakota is a really happy, happy child. Honestly, the kid really doesn't cry unless there's something seriously wrong with him. And I'm very thankful for that because of everything he's had to go through. I feel like it's just made it a little bit easier to have to go through it. He absolutely loves the children's hospital we go to. He sees like 13 different departments there um, and he still is getting therapies. He gets OT speech and PT through school and he also gets all three through our local children's as well. Um, Kind of every other week basis just to keep in touch with them and stay on top of his progress. But he is overall a really good kid and he has made so much progress. He has come so much farther along than what anybody would have anticipated just based on looking at the images and everything from um, when he was born. Honestly, people who meet Dakota and look at his chart from a doctor's standpoint have told me several times Dakota is a mess on paper, but he's a completely different kid when you walk in the room and see him. So that's really exciting just to see the progress and see that a diagnosis doesn't define you. It does kind of hinder some things you do and it changes the way you live your life, but I'm very thankful Dakota has definitely changed the way we live our life and he definitely makes us appreciate so much more. And even though it definitely was a struggle the first four years, it is amazing what he's been through and how far he's overcome it. But something I'm definitely very thankful for is 2020. I strongly dislike that COVID happened and I hate the way the slowdown happened, but I've I'm very thankful for the fact that our life slowed down. I unfortunately had to leave my job. It allowed me a whole year to focus solely on Dakota. And that year has shown me how important that was and how much Dakota needed that. In the last year, he hit two of his IEP goals that we didn't even think he would be able to beat or meet. Um, And so he surpassed some of those IEP goals, which is so awesome. So that's, it was nice to have this little bit of slowdown. So that way I can learn what Dakota needs and how he learns he needs a slow pace environment. And that way I can take that information and help his school team. So that way it makes school an even better environment for him to learn. It's also, I feel like brought the team that works with Dakota at school. It's brought us all together and made us an even stronger team. And I have no doubt that Dakota is going to be so successful in school because of this year and how much it's taught me about him as well as how much it's taught his teachers and his staff about me and the kind of parent I am. So I'm very thankful for that. And this year has really changed the way we definitely look at things and how we are going to be living our life going forward. So with that, thank you so much for tuning in and I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you stay tuned for future episodes. I look forward to chatting with you more.